0: Good morning, everybody. I'm going to be doing a scripture reading. Today is going to be John 10:11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, but they are. Not, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father.
1: Thank you very much. Is this, uh, am I working? You hear me? All right, cool. Um, Good morning. Everybody all right? Good. I have uh, one more announcement as well. Um, This is, uh, our, our fiscal year for the church ends in, at the end of June and starts in July, July 1st. Um, and so every year we have an annual congregation meeting, which means for the six weeks leading up to it, the governing board comes together over and over and over again to build budgets and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so we finished all that work. Great job, everyone. And, and it was, it was, it's always like a ton of work. And I'm, I'm always very thankful for, for everyone who sticks it out the long meetings and pays attention. <laughs> um, not me. Um, and... So, this is our, uh, next week, we're going to be posting sort of the revised budget for next year, projected numbers, um, and, um, and items that we'll be voting on. So, there's usually new congregational mem- um, items, uh, congregational uh, representatives. There are, although I, I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to work. They'll fill you in on what's going on with that. Um, and there'll be a new budget that represents um, our projections for the new year, and uh, all that. There may be other items as well. I don't always know everything happening. But it, uh, So what's going to happen is next week we're going we're to, on the website, we're going to be posting the documents and you can read over them. You can read over the budget. We don't hide our numbers. Everything is out in the open. Um, if you want to get all snoopy and look through everything, that's totally fine. We don't care. Come on. I do it all the time. Um, and... Uh, you can, uh, we'll also have a, a notebook, a binder out in the lobby sitting on the table out there and you can flip through that and check everything out. Um, we usually try to put, if you're voting on somebody for a position, then we usually try to put their faces so you can find out who they are. Um, and we put those documents out two weeks before voting opens and voting goes, I believe, another two or three weeks. Um, Maribel is, she knows everything and so I always have to refer to her. But, uh, so just so you know, next week those documents are going to be out um, and here's what we do. Normally we, we would do, before COVID, we were doing these sort of town hall, come together, go over the budget, talk about everything and work through it and people can ask questions and stuff. Um, but we've been doing it all sort of virtually, making videos and putting them together. This is the last year we're going to do that. Um, we know some people are still at home, not coming back yet. So um, we're going to make it all one more virtual meeting this year. And then next year, hopefully we'll be back doing regular sort of town hall style and talking through everything with you. But in the meantime, you can read through it if you have concerns, if you see something you don't like or if you see something you're stoked about, whatever. Email the governing board. I believe it's board at watermarktampa.com. If not that, elders at watermarktampa.com. And if you really want to get specific, Tommy at watermarktampa.com. Um, and you can email your thoughts and open up a conversation. We'll meet with you and talk to you about what's going on, about how these decisions were made, and, uh, and get your feedback. This is not... Um, we, we try to have as flat of a system as possible where there's a lot of voices. The governing board is made up of like 15 people from all parts of the church who all come together to help work on the, on the budget together. So that is that. Um, that's starting next week. And um, I mean, there's another, I, guess, I guess I'll let you know. The, the, the other pastors in the church didn't necessarily want me to let you know, but I'm, I'm going next week and I'm leaving for Turkey and I'll be there um, for three weeks, studying um, with Northern Seminary and Scott McKnight and and my my cohort that I've been with since 2017. And we're going to go there and be studying, and I'm going to be sort of working on some material while I'm there and taking pictures and planning some stuff when I come back to sort of teach. And so here's the thing. Sometimes when I go and people know I'm not coming back, they know I'm not going to be here, they don't come and gather. That's not cool, guys. That's not cool. Don't do that. Don't be like that. This is not about me. This is a community, all right? Um, and it's really discouraging for the people who are preaching, and they're already working on stuff, and they're working on lessons, and we have elders and pastors. We have a guest speaker, an author coming in to, to speak, uh, someone whose book we've all been reading is house churches and stuff. So please come back, and please make yourself available. Um, if you need anything, spiritual guidance, while I'm not available, because I will not be available, um, Uh, you can email the elders. Uh, You can go through the website. You can use the contact forms there and we will reach out to you. We have more hands on deck this year than I think we've ever had before. So we have more pastors. We have more elders. We have more. So if you are in need of guidance or assistance of any kind, uh, reach out. Um, Other than that, please come. Don't sleep in and be like, Tommy's not there. If you do that, I don't know. I don't like it. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. Don't do it. It means something idolatrous, I'm sure. I just don't like it. Um, okay, so let me pray, and then we'll jump into this passage together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. I pray that you would guide us uh, forward, that um, you would prepare the way and continue to do your work here in, in, in our hearts, in our midst. And be with me now as I speak. Bring back to, to my memory the things that I've studied this week. Uh, speak through me. Um, Give us exactly what we need when we need it. That is our prayer. Um, that, that, that we would learn to trust you and walk every day step by step through this whole thing, through this world together. Um, and, and I do mean together. I pray that we would be one body and one community. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm not currently on social media of any kind, but I do use Reddit sometimes. <laughs> Supposedly. They make themselves feel better by saying that's not a social media. It is, though. Um, it's just a really snobby one. Um, but there's this, there's this post I found, like, last year, and I, I find it fascinating. I, I like to describe to some really interesting sort of conversation stuff that's going on and just sort of browse and read. And there was this conversation that was going on where this, where this, this girl had posted a question, um, and the question was basically, what is it like to have loving parents? It tells you a lot about her and her experience and what she's going through. But she puts puts this question out there and she wants people to sort of talk about it. Maybe she's wondering if her parents love her at all or whatever. Um, And so she puts this out there. What is it like to have loving parents? And by the time I had read it, there were, let's see, I wrote this down. There were 49,000 people who had replied um, with that single sentence. And some of them were heartbreaking. Some of them were really bad. They were like, I don't know. I've never had loving parents. Here's my story. And they would lay it all out. Um, there was one teenage boy, he, he talks about how he watched his, uh, on, on, on Christmas Day, he, his four-year-old sister accidentally broke an ornament. Um, and his mom freaked out and flipped out on him and said, now I'm going to break something that you love. And she threw something at her tea set, her new which she had just got that morning, and smashed it. Um, and there was this other story about um, um, just constant abuse, emotional and physical abuse. There were stories about parental rage and abandonment and, and threats that the child had better succeed and get good grades or do good in some sports game or, or else, you know. Um, and I'm reading these stories, but I mean, intermixed in all these though is, is some, some better stories as well. There, were, there, were, there was one post that said, I always feel 100% safe. And there was someone else who said no matter what happens, I just know everything's gonna be okay. I just know it's gonna be okay. Uh, There's this trust that is built up when you have a good authority figure in your life. And, that, and who's watching over you and you know that you're going to be taken care of. That's okay, you don't need to worry. You can just keep living. You know things are happening everywhere, but you don't need to worry about it. Um, there's this other commenter who stated that when you come from a loving home, he said, and there's a quote, you, you don't have to seek companionship outside of your family because you already have all the love that you need and you never feel alone ever. And so like, when you see a healthy expression of authority from a parent or from a, from a teacher or from a pastor, even a, even a politician, <laughs> um, when you see a healthy representation of, of, of healthy, good authority in your life, um, they can do these kinds of things. They can help you. They can either make you feel sort of small and deformed and crooked and, and scared, or they can make you feel strong and alive and flourishing and safe and there is this way that, that authority can present themselves to you in a way that's, that's very inviting or very terrifying. Um, and they're both seeking the same thing. They're sort of both, this bad and this good authority, are seeking sort of um, to mold you in a way that they think you should go. It's just the approaches are wildly different. And it all depends on the heart of the one wielding the power, uh, which is why... Paul always has a lot to say about how we wield power in each other's lives. Um, when we read about oh, the world in which Jesus lives, we, we see a lot of these same power dynamics. We see first century, second temple Jewish people living under these Pharisees who, uh, Pharisees weren't default bad dudes. They, they, were, they were just, it was a sect of Judaism that had a very specific view. These particular Pharisees in Jesus' day who were, who were, who were overseeing this temple, they were corrupt. But the people couldn't see that. A lot of people don't understand, they don't see and recognize corruption when it's over them because they've never seen good leadership. They've never seen good authority. They've never felt loved by somebody in power over them. And so they don't, they've never, if you've never seen anything else, how would you ever know whether or not what you're seeing is right or wrong? And so Jesus has a lot to say about the leaders of God's people, both in his day and throughout Israel. there's, There's a point where Jesus gathers all the peasants and he gives them 10 Blessings. Blessed are you who are this, blessed are you. Who, and, th- and then he gathers the spiritual elite and he says he has 10 woes. Woe unto you, because you're this and you're this and you're this and you're this. And he's very oftentimes harsh with those who are in authority over God's people. And he's never harsh with non-believers or with, with the peasants or, the, or the, just the everyday believers who are trying to follow Jesus and uh, trying, to, trying to follow him and, and, and be godly and find their way. His harshest words are always for those who abuse their power over others. And so... Um, most people, until they're given the ability to look at things from the outside of their own context, which is why this girl's asking this question on Reddit, because she's trying to figure out whether or not what she's experiencing is right or wrong. Um, and she has questions about it. And so one of the main reasons we gather together is to submit even our notions of goodness to Jesus, even our notions of authority to Jesus. It's, we gather on Sundays not to give you a show, not to make you feel good. We gather to look at the parts of our lives which are not yet submitted to Christ. And we gather under the name of Jesus and we we work on submitting these things to Christ, which includes our view of of our definition of what goodness looks like, of what good authority looks like, and and good shepherding sort of looks like. Um, And so this means we, we have to ask a lot of questions. How do we know what a good shepherd looks like and have we ever seen one? And so Jesus... Has a lot to say about all of this. I mean, in John 10, where we're looking uh, this morning, he says this He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And like I said last week, all through the Bible, from the very beginning to the very end, shepherds are made kings and kings are spoken of as shepherds. There are passages over and over and over again where where Moses, who's even Moses is on his deathbed and he looks up and he says and, and, he, and God takes him up on top of this mountain and says hey there's the promised land I'm not going to let you go in there I'm not going to let you have the promised land even though you've wandered all these years and rescued my people you were devout however you sinned in multiple ways that makes you not the good shepherd to lead God's people into the promised land but I'll take you up on the mountain and I'll show you the promise so you can see it so you can see what the people are going to get because of your work and that's a blessing in itself and he goes up there but his biggest concern is not for whether or not um, he's going to get into the promised land. They're not even for himself. He's not even worried that he's going to die. His biggest concern is actually like, well, who's going to shepherd your people? I'm worried that they're not going to have a good shepherd, that they're going to have a bad one, that someone's going to rise up over them. And this is his biggest fear, which is a sign that he's doing a pretty good job, honestly, that he was a pretty good shepherd. But there wasn't, here's the fact, there wasn't a single leader throughout Israel's history that we can look at throughout the whole arc of Israel's story that we can look at and say, now this one, this, 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 this one right here, this was a good a good shepherd all the way through. They were everything a shepherd should be. There's not one of them. Um, Moses, with his attempts to force God to do things his own way, fails over and over and over. Um, and you, even, even Israel's great, I mean, you can look at any of these leaders and point out all the flaws that they had. Even their greatest king, David, King David, the one whom they believed the Messiah would be like, even King David, his life is just riddled with sin. He He's corrupted by his position of power. He used that power to coerce one of his subjects, uh, a, a woman in, in his kingdom, um, so that he could sleep with her, and he had her husband murdered. Um, rape and murder. This is what David did. And, and they held him up as like, but this is our greatest king. This is as good as we could do. It's very normal. We can't do all that well. We are not the good shepherd. I am not the good shepherd, no one you have met is the good shepherd. There is one good shepherd, and it's Jesus. And, and, and fr- from this point forward, though, from, from like Moses and David forward, they're constantly going to be talking to God's people about what we're looking for in our leaders, in our shepherds, in our, uh, in our kings, in our pastors, in, in the people that are going to lead us forward. And by the way, when I say our kings, our as in God's people, sort of like when Israel is, when, you talk about, um, when they talk about the nations, when it says, if my people, um, you know, uh, called by my name, repents, I will heal their land. He's talking, he's not talking about our land. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about God's people, okay? Um, when we actually make that about our country, that's, that's called Christian nationalism. We, we don't want to venture into this. That's a heresy. We need to go back here. This is God's people, is, is Israel. Um, and so um, we, we have a king, it is Jesus. But when he's talking about their kings, he's like, there's things that you should look for. And one of the greatest passages that lays this all out for me is, is Psalm 23, Um, the song that we sang earlier, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They don't bring me, I love that last part because the rod and the staff, they don't bring me fear like you're going to abuse me and beat me, they, they comfort me. I feel protected by them, not threatened by them in any way. And so if you visit, it's, it's funny, Like if you read this, you have this picture in your mind, um, probably, of, of what it looks like to, to picture this, a, a sheep following a shepherd in a, in a scene like this. Problem is when when you visit the Valley of Negev today and you look across like the vast landscape of the whole thing, it's mostly unchanged since the time that this was written. And the guy who wrote this, King David, would have been present and would have understood this and and, and would have seen what, what it looks like, and it looked a bit like this. This is the Negev Valley. Um, and so when he writes about God as my shepherd, he leads me in these by these green pastures and these and these springs of water, just beautiful places he leads me to. He's sitting in this scenario. Um, and it's hard to imagine, when you look at like this Martian-like landscape, that there could ever be a shepherd or any sheep anywhere near here. Um, but when I... I mean, if you just run a simple Google search of, of Psalm 23, like a Google image, uh, and you say, hey, show me a picture like, of, of the images that, that we make about Psalm 23, the kind of stuff like your, your great aunt posts on Facebook, right? Uh, and it kind of looks like this, right? Like there's this sheep... Like, this is kind of what comes up when you search for that. It's a sheep with this huge grass. Look how happy he is. Like, not a fear in the world. And this is what we, this is what we want. This is what we expect. Um, I'm a sheep. I'm God's sheep. And I, everything is taken care of. And I, I can't even walk in the food. It's like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs level. It's like, I can't even... By the way, that is one of the funniest animated movies I have ever seen in my life. I just have to say. I watch it over and over again with my kids. Part two, equal. So good. Anyways, um, this is what we're picturing... Um, but this is not what the psalmist is picturing at all. This is not what he's picturing. The psalmist is literally picturing this. green fields, Like, this is what they're picturing. And here's the thing. Um, in the Negev Valley, in the desert, there's not a lot of food. People die very easily, very quickly. Um, I'm going to be, I guess I'm going to be walking around the desert in a couple of weeks. Um... I'm trying to buy some things that aren't black, and it'll cool me down a little bit. But I, it's, it's hot, and if you take your hat off, oftentimes people will yell at you and be like, Get, tell that guy to put his hat back on. You'll, dry, you'll die. And so there are ways that people live here, though. Like, but if, if you go out here, there really are shepherds, and there really are sheep everywhere. There's sheep, goats, there's all kinds of herds. Um, by the way, you know why they don't put the sheep and the goats together? Uh, and the Bible actually mentions this. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats because the goats, this is a freebie. I just thought, because the goats actually, they're not like sheep. Um, they wander, like they, they like lead. And when they lead, the, the sheep follow them. And so the sheep follow the goats. Away, and so they, they split, the, they, they make everything sort of spread out. So sort of like, no, we've got to separate these. But if you look out and you look around, um, you see shepherds and you see sheep. And here's the thing. See these little sprigs of grass right there all these things this is the fields of green this is what they're eating but these things are only available at certain times of day there is this passage in the book of James chapter 1 that talks about this wind that blows in um, from the deserts of Egypt and it, 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 and it blows in it calls it a scorching heat that withers the plants it says for the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plants its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business ouch um, He's uh, talking to us. And, and so there's this thing that would happen where the shepherds would wake up early and they would gather their sheep and they would lead them out um, while it's still dark uh, and, and they begin to lead them out and they know right where to go. And they're normally, the average shepherd in the first century and, and before and, and you know probably 800 years earlier, maybe 1,000 years earlier when this passage is, is written, they're going to uh, oftentimes be young girls, 13 years old, um, out there with the sheep uh, tending them, and they know what they're doing. They know where to be at certain times of the day, because right around 10, and it lasts till about 2 or 3, there's this hot wind that comes from the desert, and it's so hot, and it's so sandy, it just scorches everything. Uh, and these plants will all wither within an hour. They'll all be gone. And then the dew will fall, and they'll sort of plump back up the next morning, and we'll do this all over again. And so and so the shepherd, she knows at certain times, maybe in the morning she's going to lead them out um, out into the 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 fields where the sun is going to beat down on them directly, and she's going to have them graze there a little bit and get all the little sprigs. And then she's going to lead them as the sun comes up and the hot winds are blowing through, she's probably going to lead them over to the side of a mountain, um, facing the direction the winds come from. And there's some shade there as the sun is over here, and they're going to eat this. And as the sun goes over here, she's going to know where to be, when, where where to be, and when, so that she can feed the sheep. And every day she does this, and she carries the step staff and all this. this is how they led the sheep. And so when you, when you look at these passages, we Americans, consumerists, capitalists, we, we have this vision of like how the world should work and we're chasing opulence. What we want more than anything is, is uh, to get rich and not work and do, do whatever we want. Um, that's what most people are kind of going for here. And the actual message of the text is, is very different it's as I, My shepherd that I follow leads me to these green fields, but the picture that they have is like, and I have to keep following constantly. It's not like they're going to lead me there, and there's just going to be this opulence, and I'm going to spread out, and I'm going to have to not worry about anything, not worry about, about anything ever again, because I'll have plenty to eat forever. And there's constantly passages in the text that sort of talk about this. Proverbs 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 89, it says, neither poverty, um, I'm sorry, I cut off the beginning, but it says, it says, give me, it's a request, give me neither poverty nor riches, But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. So there's this posture that they wanted to have where they have what they need when they need it and they trust that God will give it to them. And the only way that they believe that they can have this, that, that they can be sustained is the same way that they were sustained in the desert when they were walking through the desert and every day God would drop manna in the morning and they would get up early and they would take it and they could not, they could not hoard more than they could hold in that day. They could not hold, hold any overnight or it would be filled with maggots and disgust. And the way that they described this, God was teaching them for 40 years, every day when you wake up, you're gonna to have to trust me. There's gonna be things that you don't understand. There's gonna be fears that you have. Don't live by fear. Learn to live by hope and love. When you live by fear, you are easily controlled by other shepherds who are here to terrify you and to use you for their own gain, their own power, whatever. The things we talked about last week, possession, right? Um, But when you learn not to have fear, when you learn to trust that God is leading and that you're following and that everything will be given in its due time, that you will receive what you need when you are meant to receive it, when I take my kids to an amusement park or like to Disney or whatever, I, I, don't, I don't wake up in the morning and hand them their pass, right? They're, they're little kids. I'm not gonna give them their pass and then go, we'll go to the gate, pull out your pass. I, I lost it. Of course you lost it. They always lose it. They lose everything. And so you don't do that. You give it to them when you get to the gate and when you get through, you take it back. Like they don't need to worry about it. And so oftentimes when you're parenting, you kind of realize that like the way your kids learn to trust you, that, that, you'll have, that you have what they need when they need it, that's a calling for you to trust God in the same way. Um, and so when you read the Lord's Prayer, when you read the whole thing, and, and you kind of like, we read this every week, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done. But right in the middle of it here, um, give us this day our daily bread. Today, give us what we need today, right now. It's not load my bank account up so I never have to worry again. Oftentimes, that is a curse that God puts on people. Oftentimes, God God lets you have exactly what you want so that you can learn that this is not what life is about, and that actually the greatest treasures are the people that you gather with, and so there's this way that God was trying to form them to live in the world, the same way that God is trying to form us to live in, in our world today. Many leaders that we follow today promise really big things in order to gain a following, they, I mean, as I read, though, that the descriptions of how God leads his people, I've come to see that following Jesus requires accepting that tomorrow's bread will come tomorrow. And that I can actually learn to rest in peace and hope today. And I can learn, and I haven't mastered this, but I have been learning, especially through COVID, to say, oh, this is, this is a hard one. I'm interested to see what God does here. I'm interested to see how God... I know that I'm going to look... It's the whole Kierkegaard thing. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Like, I'm interested to see how this goes, how this ends. I'm interested to see what God, what God turns me into through this. I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Um, I get a lot of anxiety when I'm traveling, especially when I'm traveling on my own especially when I'm traveling to a country I've never been to and I don't speak the language and I don't know the food and I've never drank the water and I'm really worried about that. And so I have all these anxieties and stuff and I don't sleep very much right now because there's something coming up. But I'm learning to sort of say, okay, I I have to practice this. At some point, I have to lay this down and say, this will be interesting to see what God does and to see what, what I learn, see what I'm taught, see what God does here, see what God does with my family, to see what God does through all of it. Um, because he's doing something, and we go a little further in the passage, and we, go, we see a little more that Jesus talks about. He says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they should never peri- uh, they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is talking about, like, he's taking these images, Psalm 23 of the shepherd and stuff, and he sort of brings it now, and he says, he says my sheep I am a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the, there's not been a good one. I am the good one. I want you to compare all your worldly leaders, all your Israel leaders, all the kings you've ever had, everyone who is over you, I want you to compare them to me and I want you to see that I am the good one. I am the good shepherd. I'm the good leader. And he says, and my sheep, like I know them and when I speak, they hear me. They know my voice and they follow me. Um, This is actually, in their day, this had meaning. If you were the caretaker of a group of sheep, and you spoke, they were fine-tuned to hear your voice. Uh, there's this episode that I read about from uh, Old Testament theologian, Gary Burge, where he, he talks about this 1989 Palestinian, the Palestinian uprising that happened uh, in 1989 um, during the big war where sort of Israel's sort of claiming land from Egypt and, 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 and these, other, these other countries um, and takes sort of the, the Palestinian strip. And there's, there's this thing that was happening where, The taxes went through the roof on the Palestinians. And if they couldn't afford the taxes, they would just go take things that would equal the taxes. And so they ended up with this giant pen of of sheep and goats that was thousands and thousands and thousands of them uh, in this massive pen. And there's this specific woman who, um, she had no husband. She had 12 sheep. And this is all she had. And she went, she couldn't pay the taxes. um, And... She goes to the soldiers and she's like, this is all I have. It's all I have. And she's begging and pleading and a couple of them have compassion upon her. And they bring her to the edge of the pen and they say, the problem is, like, your sheep are in here and there's no way for us to locate them. There's nothing I can do for you. And she said, but if I could locate my 12 sheep, could I keep them? And the guy kind of laughed and he goes, sure, of course. If you can find them, you can keep them. And she goes, great. And she leaves and she comes back with her son. He's this 11 year old boy and he's got this little flute (laughs) and he pulls out the flute and he goes to the edge of the pen and he starts playing the flute and within a couple of minutes 12 sheep are gathered around his feet and he turns and he starts walking away playing this flute and the Israel's all start they start start cheering all the soldiers start cheering and they're like that was incredible like never seen anything like it and she leads them home all of the sheep and she leads them home Um, I love this picture because it it there comes a point in the relationship um, between the shepherd and the sheep where the the sheep come to hear the shepherd's voice and the sounds of the shepherd's walk and their gait and the way that they move through the world. They come to hear the sounds of the shepherd as the sound of life for them. And they come to follow that shepherd through anything that they are going through. This is a product of discipleship. In a world where people are playing all kinds of flutes, trying to get you to follow all kinds of things. Ideologies flying left and right, back and forth, everything. And they're all promising you, you join me, you follow me. When we get to the end of this thing, there's going to be fields of green, quiet streams. You're going to be safe, everything's going to be better, everything's going to be fine. And it never is. The revolutionary tends to become the next dictator every time. And so... In the midst of it all, there is Jesus, our king, our only king. This was the chant of the early Christians, no king but Jesus. Um, We must learn to hear Jesus in the midst of all of it. The one who is spouting the words of Christ, the one who is using them in a way that is Christ-like, should grab our attention in the midst of a world who is not. It's usually not the most eloquent person in the room. It's usually not the most powerful person, the one who the people love the most. Oftentimes they're quieter, less power, relatively meek, and they're saying the things that need to be said to those who are looking for comfort and direction at the bottom. And the main focus of the life of the Christian, our most important daily work is not and hear what I'm saying here our most important work is actually not justice and it's not actually love it's not preaching it's not learning to listen to Jesus it's learning to discern the voice of Jesus in the sea of the other voices because the the voice of Jesus is how we learn about justice and love and the gospel and how it functions we listen for Jesus there are all kinds of people spouting all kinds of things that they claim are the gospel but we must go straight back to Jesus every time Oftentimes people will claim Paul and they'll use passages of Paul and they'll twist those into being something that they're not and claim that Paul's gospel is this and that that is what Jesus was doing. But oftentimes they're not. They're twisting the words of Paul to match the culture in which they were raised in. Paul would drop everything and listen to Jesus every time, given the chance. Um, If we don't learn to discern the voice of Jesus above the other voices of the other shepherds in the world, we will end up doing justice apart from Jesus. And justice apart from Jesus tends to be punitive which is not Christ-like. We learned on the cross that Jesus is not, that, that, that God is not punitive. you know how we know? Because God is like Jesus. that God is restorative. that God works through the cross to bring about resurrection. He works through his own people, laying themselves down, allowing themselves to be broken and poured out for the healing and the transformation of others so that they can be made whole again. This looks very, very different. Than how we see leaders of the world exercising power in any way. So, if you do justice apart from Jesus, you only end up leading more injustice. If you start to and try to love without understanding what love actually is, the way Jesus presents it to us and gives it to us, the love that you practice can oftentimes just lead to pain. Because you love people in a direction, you don't just love people. Love you, I love you, love you. If you just love people where they're at, oftentimes, like you join them and love them where they're at, but you love them in a direction because you want what is best for them. My wife loves me in a direction. She's helping me become a better man, better husband. Um, She's helping me become the wise old man that I want to be. You know, that's, and and I'm loving her in a direction as well. The, The direction that I know she wants to go in, and I love her in this direction. And say, we can do this. We can walk this path together. It's not loving for me to just sit and let her accept her circumstances and everything that she's in and just sit there and, and wallow in it and get worse and worse and worse. No, we have to walk together. We love each other in a direction. Um, if you don't learn to listen for the voice of Jesus, you'll end up preaching a message that's not Christ-like and it will further form society in a way that is crooked. crooked. And so we have to learn to hear Jesus, the voice of Jesus, cutting through all of it. And just because someone is using the name of Jesus, just because someone is using the words of Jesus, just because they're wielding the text in some way does not mean that the voice of Jesus is coming from them. Like I've said before, when I watched the inauguration last year, this year, I don't know, it's all blending together in the last however long, but I'm watching the inauguration and there's all these Bible verses being put on all these, all these monuments to this earthly empire in which we're living, and they're wielding the Bible, and they're projecting it. Just because I I agree with the verses that are being used doesn't mean I'm not a little worried about the context in which they are being proclaimed. Powerful people at the very top wielding the, the words of first century Jewish people who were wildly oppressed and beaten and abused so much so that, that 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 they they carried the identity of the cross in that way and Jesus entered into their lives to lead them towards him and Jesus became one of them. Like we're we're picking we're picking the 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 bottom of the barrel group of people in the ancient world and we're using their texts in ways that project power and strength and military might and what other people in the world might see as oppression. This is not Christ-like. This is not how Jesus works. We must learn to listen for the voice of Jesus as Jesus uses it. We must learn to be humble. We must learn to lower ourselves. Um, The kingdom of God is not this trumpet blasting. It's a a small, still voice. Loving people at the bottom and, and, and walking with them towards healing every single day allowing ourselves to be led by Jesus to the place where we can be fed, and then the next place, and then the next place. Learning to follow Jesus in this way. It is a daily ritual. It doesn't happen once a week, coming here, listening to me talk for 30 minutes, and then going home. Because like I talked about last week, you're probably being indoctrinated for nine hours a day separate from this. You must learn to hear the voice of Jesus, and that only comes by spending time with the voice of Jesus every single day. There was this... uh, Talked about this a few years ago. Um, one of the, my a book that, that really shifted a lot of my perspective on, on um, how we can talk about monotheism in a really healthy way is is uh, this book by um, uh, Vincent Donovan. He was a missionary, a Catholic missionary to the Maasai tribe in, 19, in the 1970s. And part of his work there was he was trying to stave off this tribal warfare that, was, that would periodically rise up where uh, the tribe and the Maasai that he was working with, they had these particular beliefs about who God was. And then there was this other tribe on the other side of the valley who had this other view of who God was. And these two different views of God would cause these people to war and kill each other. And Vincent Donovan, I mean... Of course, as it does. Uh, Vincent Donovan enters in and, and, and he's working with the Messiah tribe and he's teaching them. He's trying, to, he's trying to help them understand that this is not something that you should be warring over, that this is not what God wants. Um, and so his solution was to teach them the words that God gave to Abraham. He taught them the, the, so the, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's like, there's not all these separate gods all warring. There is one God. And he starts to lay this out for them And he says, there's not this multitude of God. There's only one true God. And after telling the story of Abraham, one of these tribal elders interrupted and spoke up after sitting for a few minutes and said, "Um, hey, this, this story of Abraham, does it speak only to the Messiah? Or does it also speak also to you? Has your tribe found the most high God? Have you known this high God that you talk about? And right away, he's a missionary, right? Like he... Of course, he's gonna answer, of course we found him and we brought him to you and you're gonna understand now too. Um, and he says, he, he, he was about to give this glib answer when all of a sudden he, he thinks about his former life. He lived in America, the tail end of, of um, one of the world wars and then he lived in Germany another time as well where he studied. And he thinks about all of this and he remembers um, how the parish is and the American life that he had lived they always prayed for victory in war, and, 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 and there was this certainty in our prayers. He says, there was a certainty in our prayers that Almighty God will always bless our side in wartime. God's on our side. And then he found himself in Germany later, and, and he recalls how Hitler never failed. He says, he says, Hitler never failed to call upon the help of Götter like uh, God Almighty is, is how they put it. Uh, Hitler's always calling upon God Almighty and calling for the people to pray for God Almighty in all of his speeches, in all of his adventures that, that, that he lived in Germany. And this Nazi doctor once told him that they, that they could always count on the Catholic school children to play for Hit, pray for Hitler every single morning, uh, to ask God, God's blessings upon him. Uh, the, the God the Pope called, called upon to bless the troops of Mussolini. He read about them, um, about, uh, who were about to embark on the, the plunder in Ethiopia that they that they. That they, um, uh, the atrocities committed there, and then and then the God invoked by the American cardinal to bless the soldiers of Christ going to Vietnam in his day, um, and 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 then the God of French glory, and the German God of, of Hitler, where he he comes to find are, are no more high than the God of they are no that these gods that they were praying to he realizes are no more the God of the Bible than than the God of the Ephesians that you read about in the Bible. Like the, the, the Ephesians of, of Ephesus, the, the, the ones who worshiped in the temple of, of Artemis. like he's, He came to realize that like we're all praying to this God. They're not. He comes to realize I, I, I haven't actually, I, I don't think that we've found him. I, I think there's something wrong with what we have found. Because somehow this God just seems to bless everything that we do. And somehow these bad shepherds just use the name of God in every other which way. And we aren't sure what to make of this all the time. And we just join in and we pray too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bless our troops. And they're praying the same thing. And we wonder whose side is God on as if God has actually chosen a side in our conflicts. And he finally answers this. He says, no, we have not found the high God. My tribe has not known him. For us too, he is the unknown God. We're searching for him, and I have come a long, long distance to invite you to search for him with us. Let us search for him together, and maybe together we will find him. He comes to realize, like, he can't hear the voice of Jesus in the spiritual leaders, in the political leaders, and the powerful leaders of his day. He's heard a lot about God. We hear a lot about God bless this country, God bless that country. Rarely do people want to invoke the name of Jesus, a wandering, poor, traveling minority who was killed by the Roman Empire and hung on a cross between two thieves. Rarely do we want this to be our guy that we follow into anything. You don't follow somebody into battle who's already told you up front, I'm gonna lose by the way, let's go. Why would I follow you? There's these really powerful people with huge armies telling me I can follow them and I'll be fine. And you're telling me that if I follow, follow you that if I enter if I enter the kingdom through the gate that is Jesus. You're telling me I'll go in and come out and find pasture? That you're going to give me what I need because these guys are promising that we'll just vanish all our we'll vanquish all of our enemies, we'll destroy them all and then we'll live in peace. Peace by the sword. Why is your guy hanging on a cross? We never ponder this either, like the symbol of Christianity. We, Jennifer Lopez wore this giant, when I was a kid, I'm dating myself now, I remember like late 90s, this big award show, Jennifer Lopez walking down in this plunging neckline dress with this big cross here. Like, Okay, first off, I want to I ask a question about the Roman execution device that you wear around your neck. What does this mean to you? That's the kind of question I want to ask. It's like hanging an electric chair around your neck. Jeez. It's like hanging an electric chair. Yo, check out my new necklace and it's all diamonds and it's an electric chair. Like that's what it is. That's what you're doing. The cross is the symbol of what we give up. All that we're willing to give up to follow Jesus. Trusting that tomorrow when I wake up I'm gonna have what I need because I followed the shepherd. And As long as I'm following the shepherd I have what I need. And the problem is that I find it hard to hear him because the world's a very noisy place. And so I need to turn it off and I need to get alone, and I need to listen to Jesus. The work of the gathering, of the Sunday gathering, is to help you hear Jesus. It's, it's not to get you to pray some prayer. It's not, uh, it's not to entertain you. It's not to take part in the culture war at all. It's not to, be, it's not to affirm you in what you already believe. It's, it's literally to cut through all of that and to help you hear Jesus to learn, it's, it's, it's not to learn to defend the Bible, it's not to learn to defend your faith. I don't particularly think the Bible needs defense. I don't think God needs defense. I think enemies need to be loved and the poor need to be fed and the prisoners need to be visited and the naked need to be clothed and the people need to be shown where they can get some bread. And we get it from Jesus. The point of the gathering is to learn to hear Jesus leading us through the barren desert wastelands that we're walking through constantly. Only Jesus is strong enough to reject the spiritual darkness. The the episode in the desert where he rejects all the temptation, the reason he's doing that is because these are all the temptations that caused every leader of Israel to fall. Power, money, attention, feats of impressive... Things that we can do, we want all the accolades. Jesus faces each one, each one of them, and says, "That's not. That's not how this works. That's not what we're doing." And so Jesus becomes the victor. Every one of our kings, every one of our leaders, every one of our pastors are drawn. When you get to the high places, you know what you find: spiritual darkness. Paul talks about this. You find spiritual darkness in high places. It's very hard to stand against, which is why we are called to the cross. Take up your cross. Take up the cross every time. Don't take up your power. Don't take up your authority. Don't take up uh, your money. Don't take up the influence that you wield. Take up the cross every time. Be willing to lay it down at any moment. Be willing to be broken and poured out so that others can be fed and healed. And so many of us grew up in traditions that, that make God much more like the leaders that your ideological side supports and, rather than a picture of Jesus. Jesus. And so I want to reiterate sort of the last thing I emphasized last week as I bring this to a close. Um, It is not about what's right or wrong. All of the fights you have, you might, again, you might be right. You might have all the data. You might have all the right words to say. You might have all the right arguments. You might be right. But if you're not Christ-like, you're wrong. If you can't bring it to people in a way that is Christ-like and humble, you're wrong. No matter how right you are, it is not about rightness. It is about wisdom and Christ-likeness. This is what God wants you to grasp and take hold of. The wisdom of being led by the Spirit of Christ and being a Christ-like person, being a Christ-like church. God doesn't want us to be big. God doesn't want us to be any of the things that they all say a church should be. The thing God wants us to be as a church is Christ-like, which means it's not based upon our preferences. It's not based upon what we want. It means we come to church when Tommy's not here because we're trying to be Christ-like. I'm gonna keep poking. Um, The measure is is rightness. I'm sorry, the measure is not rightness or boldness or strength or morality or giftedness. It's Christ-likeness. And so ponder that as the way forward. Would you stand with me? Um, And I'll pray, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Father, be with us. As we venture out into the barren wasteland in which we live, we can see there is less and less food that is viable to eat, to live off of, and things are getting very difficult and complicated. We know that you are king. We know that none of them are. Every earthly leader is merely a caricature of of what you are the reality of, and I pray that we would learn to cut through all of that and see you and follow you, that we would be, again, a people like a rock in the ocean, anchored, and the waves crash. Not only do we not move, we become a shelter for others. I pray that we would become a Christ-like, loving people, that we would love people towards you, into your kingdom, and that we would come to God through you so that we can understand what you're like. Thank you, Father, in your name amen. Will you uh, pray this prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace. I will see you guys on the other side. Have an amazing week. Have the best Sunday of your life.